Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life and a very happy Sunday to you. I'm delighted to be here having experienced a three-hour flight delay just yesterday. Sitting in the airport waiting for updates about the flight, well, it was really rather dull. But then my mind went to over 10,000 people in Kabul in Afghanistan who would like nothing more than the opportunity to be inside the airport there and know that they're definitely confirmed on a flight to safety. They just want what we would call an ordinary life, the opportunity to live freely, go where they want to go, experience an education, especially women, go through their days without threat. Our prayers are with them and for all who are coordinating the efforts to help them. But all of this got me thinking about what we might call ordinary life. Some Christians give the impression that the Christian life is like living in Disneyland. They apparently skip from one breathless roller coaster experience of God to another. The Lord seems to be very, very busily engaged in constant conversation with them, and they enjoy a broadband prayer life and epic miracles accompany their every waking hour. Bluntly, I don't find the life of faith to be like this. God is wonderful, and my life has been punctuated with more than my fair share of wonders. But many of my days fade into grey and should just be filed under the heading of nothing much happened. And so we're talking about celebrating the ordinary and being thankful for it this week on Lucas on Life. As I said earlier, there are many days in our lives that are just ordinary, boring even. But perhaps we should look at those lacklustre days with renewed appreciation. I remember when Kay and I visited the sweltering city of Banda Aceh in Indonesia. That city suffered the greatest losses from the Boxing Day earthquake and tsunami that followed in 2004. On that day, something quite extraordinary happened to the sea, which bunched itself into a wave that delivered a knockout punch to the town. Over 200,000 perished in the city in that pummeling, including a coastal fishing village that just disappeared off the map in seconds. Tired fishermen pointed their boats back towards port and home that night, unaware that a monster had crept beneath their boats while they fussed over their nets. To their horror, there was no port, no homes to sleep in, and no wives and children to greet them. All was gone. One morning, I sipped coffee with Wahail, a delightful smiling man who told me that I looked young from the neck down, which I think was almost a compliment. But he had lost both his children to that wicked wave. His wife's entire family was wiped out. And then there was the day when I chatted with a giggling Nulaya, a delightful 15-year-old whose home was still the temporary barracks that were hastily thrown up in the wake of that terrible day. Both of her parents perished in that awful sea, and then just seconds after telling me that most dreadful news, she burst into singing, in perfect English, the ABBA classic, I Believe in Angels. I'm sure she does, but for a moment, I wondered how. There were so many in Banda Aceh whose lives had been smashed to smithereens by that ominously historic day. Mass graves abounded, anonymous resting places for thousands, Many were never found, swallowed up by the ravenous beast that was the sea. All of which makes the restoration of relative normality, ordinary life, a delight to behold. 
We visited the community and children's centre run by the charity Children on the Edge, a charity originally launched by body shop founder Anita Roddick. It was a hive of bustling normality as small children giggled in the swings. Computer-skilled classes were held in one room, embroidery in another, and then in the large hall, a children's choir practised their performance for an upcoming concert, all very ordinary and very wonderful with it. And then one day we attended a football match organised by Children on the Edge. It was the culmination of a two-week tournament. It was just like an England World Cup match, a mixture of brilliance and ineptitude, a penalty shootout nail-biter to decide the result, and even a petulant young man who was given a red card and sent off for fouling and then getting lippy with the ref. We cheered ourselves hoarse as the grinning captain held the moulded plastic trophy aloft, which was almost as big as he was. The goalkeeper was the hero's saviour and was so thrown up in the air and caught, or so we hoped. I wiped a tear away as I watched ordinary kids enjoying another ordinary day, free from fear, for a moment at least, from a monster wave, able to dream about being a soccer star, able to laugh and argue and pull faces and have melting ice cream running down their chins, able to do what kids do best, which is just living extravagantly in the moment. Those people didn't want a life that looks like a disaster movie, but where the special effects are real. They just wanted to be able to laugh and cry and wake and sleep and love and die like everybody else, an ordinary life. So perhaps some of us are suffering from the raging disease that afflicts all of us who know for sure where our next meal is coming from, boredom. The ordinary can look rather dull. But perhaps we should pause again and be grateful for those days of quiet predictability where nothing much happens, including nothing much that is bad. Somehow, the ordinary can start to look really rather magnificent. We're celebrating the ordinary. It was a Sunday morning and I was parked three pews back in yet another church service. I held my head in my hands, probably leading some to think that I was praying which I was not. My shoulders were hunched over, actually by despair, which draped around me like a damp blanket. But I couldn't think why. I'd committed no great sin, and even doubt that familiar killjoy foe that often stalks me during Christian gatherings that are high on certainty, that was not the source of my struggle. The smiling greeters as I'd come into the service, they'd been warm and welcoming enough, and the worship band was skillful and enthusiastic, without resorting to cheerleading or insisting that we all burble with ecstasy. So why the niggle that buzzed around my brain like a pesky mosquito? When at last we passed the post of the final Amen, I was left with a feeling of breathless claustrophobia. Why? Reflecting later, I decided that things had gone seriously wrong during the preaching. The speaker said nothing that was theologically controversial and I had no qualms about his sincerity. But hope had drained from me as he had painted the Christian life as endlessly epic and exciting. He'd urged the congregation to expect more of God's activity in their everyday lives to become full-time conduits of power, as he put it. And at first glance, there was nothing much wrong with that. But I was wearied by the suggestion that every day has to sparkle with significance and be punctuated with messages from God and miraculous happenings. Life, including life for the Christian, 
includes plenty of dull days that, as I mentioned earlier, can be filed away under the heading of not much happened. I'm not suggesting that God is distant or uninvolved, but he isn't a bottled genie who fixes every scrape or a chatterer who endlessly blethers in our ear about trivia. And if healing miracles are as freely available as that preacher suggested, then we should cancel a few services and head for the nearest cancer ward. Much as I'd like to live every day in the spiritual equivalent of a five-star resort, there are seasons when we all feel like we're languishing in the bleak landscape of a simmering wilderness. Mother Teresa, who gave herself so heroically in serving the poor and dying in Calcutta, admitted that for 30 years she'd sensed little of the presence of God. Writing to her friend, Michael Vanderpeet, she confessed, "'The silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see.' I listen and I do not hear. Her days were heroic, but they weren't epic. Many of them were ordinary. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in epic days. I became a Christian partly because of a miraculous healing, and I'm in ministry now because a guest speaker prophesied over me and God told him my first and last name, which is anything but vague. I drove my car off the side of a cliff once, and my screaming turned to laughter when the car was somehow lifted back onto the road by an invisible hand. So don't think that I'm trying to handcuff God or render him impotent, or worse still, tag him as disinterested. It's just that I also know that there are days, weeks, and sometimes even decades when not much happens. And then I realised that the preacher in that service was projecting his life experience onto the congregation, He was traveling around to conferences, prayer gatherings, and summit meetings with other leaders, and his vocabulary was shaped by the context in which he does life. And so he thundered that we should rise up and shift the atmosphere in the nation. We were going to break through if we secured our inheritance and embraced our prophetic destiny. Huh? What does all that mean on a Monday morning to the man who makes widgets in a factory or cleans the toilets in a motorway service stop? And those who do live in the world of Christian events, they don't live endlessly thrilled. This morning, I didn't wake up, do a triple backflip through the air, catching my tambourine as I flew, landing in my cowboy boots with a cry of hallelujah. Jesus has washed my sins away, but I still have to clean the car, get stuck on the M25, cough when I have a cold, and get nervous when the credit card bill arrives. So is God still in the miracle working business? Absolutely he is. But one of the greatest miracles of all is to see followers of Jesus doing ordinary and sometimes dishwater dull tasks with excellence and faithfulness. The Irish novelist Colum McCann is right. It takes courage to live the ordinary life. But we might be helped if we celebrated the ordinary more. We've been celebrating the ordinary, having enough to eat, living in relative safety, having a roof over our heads. All should cause us surely to be grateful. I began the program this evening referring to the desperate plight of people in Afghanistan. And so I'd like us in a moment to pause for prayer. Premier Christian News reports that leaders of the underground church in Afghanistan have warned that the Taliban are going door to door hunting for Christians. A joint statement from the leaders shared by the missions group Frontier Alliance International highlights the grave circumstances Christians are currently facing. The Taliban has a hit list of known Christians they are targeting to pursue and kill. 
The US embassy is defunct and there's no longer a safe place for believers to take refuge, the group explained. People are fleeing into the mountains looking for asylum. They are fully reliant on God, who is the only one who can and will protect them. The leaders added that the Taliban are going door to door taking women and children. And so tonight, as we've been celebrating the ordinary, and I hope thanking God for that which we so often take for granted, let's pause for prayer. Let's do whatever we can in supporting those organizations that are speaking up on behalf of those who are suffering right now in Afghanistan. The prayer is the prayer that is offered on the Premier Christian News website. Lord, we pray for all those who are suffering in Afghanistan right now. Protect them and give them peace, even in the midst of such terror and suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Life seems a bit ordinary. Let's celebrate. Let's be grateful. And let's keep praying. Lucas on life.